Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. On a special two-part podcast, Brett sits down with two-time World Series winner David Justice. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, I'm joined by a three-time All-Star, two-time World Series champion. It was the NL Rookie of the Year in 1990. Ladies and gentlemen, David Justice. David, thanks for coming on the program. Booney, thanks for having me, man. Man, I was digging into you getting ready for this. You're more interesting than I even thought. <laughs> Coming up with the, uh, I I came up with some nooks and crannies. All right, um, the Braves, Braves of the nineties. You know, the I'm sure the question: How did you only win one? I was a Brave in 1999. You were a Brave for the majority of that uh, of that nineties run. What's something people don't appreciate about those Braves teams? Well, here's what I will say about our Braves teams. Is people gotta understand, we were a young team when we uh, turned that franchise around. A lot of guys were only in there second, maybe third years in the big leagues. Uh, so we were young, and for us to go from from worst to first, like we did in in '91, I mean, like that team really captured a lot of the hearts and minds around the country. Because if you remember back then, Bonnie. The, our games were on TBS, so you could actually see the Braves every single day. That's why we had so many fans around the country. That's why when we went on the road, there was always a lot of Braves fans. I, I think what you can say about that team uh, that a lot of people don't, don't probably never, never knew is a lot of us, because we played a lot in the minor leagues together and crossed paths uh, in many cities, minor league cities, is how tight our team was. Like, we were truly like a band of brothers. Because, Booney, you know how it is. You, you play at second base. In order for you to have a relationship with uh, one of the guys in the bullpen, one of y'all got to start that relationship. Because you do, you, you do everything with the infielders, just like I did everything with the outfielders. And the pitchers do everything together. So unless you guys form a relationship in the clubhouse, um, through, through the various things, you know, we, we form them through, right, Booney cards, uh, likes, whatever, but, but someone has to form that relationship. But that Braves team, I'm talking about the middle reliever, uh, we're tight with the outfielders. Outfielders, infielders tight. Starting pitchers and the whole, the whole infield outfield were tight. Like everyone was tight with each other. And everyone on our team, at some point during those years, it, I mean, never failed that it would be a guy like a, a Mike, um, God, I can't think of it. It'll come Mordecai. Mike Mordecai comes up with a big – I'll never forget this, man. Mike Mordecai came up with a big hit to help us win a game. And I remember thinking, now everybody on this team can look in the mirror and truly say that they've helped us win this year. Because, you know, it, it's a team game. You know this, Booney. You know it. It's, it's a grind. It's, 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 it's a long season of ups and downs. But through it all, we become a family in that clubhouse. And that Braves family was as tight – of a family that you'll ever find in the game of baseball. And we didn't have no dicks on our team. 
we didn't have, I didn't have no bad teammates. Like every dude on our team was cool. Like every dude, which is rare to find as well. So it would be nothing for us to be on the road and go out with eight of us together. You know, things like that. And a lot of that, though, had to come, had to be because of the minor leagues, though. Um, Bobby Cox, and my, well, I'll tell you what, I, I'll say, um, Shurholz, when Shurholz came over from, from Kansas City, you know, the Braves were a losing organization. Those guys that played, you know, the Dale Murphy era, um, I'd say from 80, 83, all the way up through 90, the Braves were the walking mat of the National League. I mean, everyone was whooping up on the Braves. But when John Shurholz came in and he made us dress up, I remember he made us dress up on the road, Booney. And what he was doing was trying to instill a professionalism in these young guys. See, we weren't on the road wearing jeans and gym shoes and whatever. We had a, you had to literally dress up and go to the yard. And because he did that, because you know how it is when you dress up. We all know, everybody on this call, we all know, ain't nothing better than when we suited and booted, right? When we got our, our Sunday <laughs> suit on or when, you know what I mean? When we dress up for something nice, don't, we don't, nothing feels better than when we dress up. As much as we like jeans and shorts and flip-flops, all that, when we put on a suit, you do feel more professional. And that's the one thing I would say that John Sherholz did uh, with our team is he, he made us start looking at ourselves as professionals. And then we were young, so, and everybody was tight. And we had been winning in the minor leagues, Boney. Uh, we had been going to the playoffs in the minor leagues. So we were experiencing a lot of winning in the minors. Like in 1989, the Richmond Braves, the team I was on, we won the Governor's Cup. And I remember hugging our manager at the time, Jim Beecham, on the field. And I was yelling, hey, Beach, we can do this in the big leagues. And two years later, we in the big leagues going to our first World Series. So yeah. that team was really tight. It was really tight, Booney. And, I mean, I can get into the whole thing about how we, we should have won more. more, and, and, I, and I wish we did, too. Shit, I think we, we could have won more, too. But now you're asking the Minnesota Twins with Kirby Puckett, you're asking them not to, you know, they showed up to win, too, now, right? Uh, 1992, the Toronto Blue Jays was as good a team as I've ever seen. Hey, Booney, you know how the game won when they do the announcements? And we all mm-hmm. run out, right? And, we, and we're standing there. I'm standing there, and I'm looking across at the Toronto Blue Jays team. And I, and I, I say to myself, ooh, man, they got some bad boys over there. <laughs> That's what I was saying to myself. Like, if we win this World Series, we're going to have to play really, really well. And I think what hurt us in the first two World Series, the two we lost, was in 90, I mean, 91, we had them, Booney. We just didn't capitalize. We, we're in the eighth inning of a 0-0 game with first and third with one out. And Sid Bream hits into the double play, and we don't score. And they end up beating us in over, I mean, in extra innings. So we had an opportunity to win that World Series. We just didn't get the big hit when we needed it in game seven. And against Toronto, they were Toronto, man. We, we, we had, if, if, if us, was it Sprague? It was the dude, it, one of their guys that, that, was, that, that was a role player had, he pinch hit and hit a home run off of Reardon that changed the momentum of the series. Devon White makes a great catch on a line drive. I hit almost out in center field. I mean, a great catch. I think he doubled us up. I mean, they, the Toronto Blue Jays made plays, and they played a little bit better than us. 
But by 95, Boney, because we had to go through you guys in Cincinnati. And I, you may not remember this, Boney, but I think we played you guys in September of that year. And when I walked into the clubhouse, I said to the guys, I said, fellas, we got to send a message in this series because if we go to the World Series this year, we're going to have to play Cincinnati because y'all had a squad. I said, well, we're probably going to go to Cincinnati, so we got to send a message right here, right now, that if Cincinnati thinks that they're going to go to the World Series, they got to come through the Braves. We swept y'all in September of 95, Boney, in Cincinnati. Because at, at every game, I, w- I would come out talking shit. Uh, game two, come out talking shit. All right, we got one. Let's go. I need a 10-run rule. I'm just talking shit. Getting the guys fired up. We laugh and we playing. But we sweep y'all. And then here we go. We play y'all again in 95 in the, in the NLCS. And I remember walking in the first day and saying, hey, y'all remember last time we was here what I said? And the guys started laughing. And then we swept y'all again. And yes, you did. And that, that, those are some bad yeah. memories that I have. I ended up going and getting beat in the World Series by that, that Braves team, too. After after I left in 99, I came back and, and the same bad memories. It wasn't a sweep, but I do remember that. We came off the, <laughs> we came off beating the Dodgers, pretty good Dodger team that year. We handled them pretty easily. And uh, we knew you were going to be tough. You know, anytime you're going to go Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin, you know you're in for a, a battle. But we, on our side, thinking we can do this. We could do this. And next thing you know, it was four and out. <laughs> I know. And people thought we had Reggie Sanders on the payroll. Uh, oh, baby. Reggie, Reggie we, I love him. <laughs> we, man, I love him to death, man. He had a rough the one. Worst feeling. Because, hey, hey, Boone, you know how it is, man. Baseball hitting hitting alone is cyclical, right? You know when we when we hot, the ball looks like a, a big ass balloon. But when we're cold, that something looks like an Eminem, don't it? Right? It does. We, it does. we caught Reggie. I think we caught Reggie during that time where it looked like an Eminem, because Reggie Reggie Sanders was a hell of a hitter. But hey, nothing too. I'm, I'm gonna say this on your podcast because um I, we had another pitcher that don't get the credit because he ended up hurting his arm. But he was as good on that mound as those three you just named. And that was Steve Avery. Hey, hey, yeah. <laughs> Booney, Steve Avery was legit at, uh, in our starting rotation. We had a big four. We didn't have a big three. We had a big four. Steve Avery got many big wins for us, man, all over the years when I was in Atlanta. So I just want to give my man Abe a shout out because he don't get the recognition he deserves for the success that he brought our team in the early years. While I got a quick second, want to give a shout out to DraftKings. We've partnered with DraftKings now, and they are the official sponsor of the Boone Podcast. Dan? Hey, thanks, Boone. Football fans, who's ready to score some free bets? Now you can when you bet on any NFL game this week with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers who bet just $1 on either team to score can win $100 in free bets. When a team scores, you score. Hey, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season along with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So why wait? 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code Boone, B-O-O-N-E. Bet $1 on either team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score. With promo code Boone this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to my interview with David Justice. Before I got to the big leagues, I remember watching you guys. I remember that 91 series and watching Avery. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's before Avery got hurt. He was. He was a force. And when I say Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin, it's just those three stayed together Lasted the test of time, went through that entire 90s. But you're right. Steve was a hell of a pitcher. All right. Let's get on to uh, David Justice's childhood. Interesting. Interesting. You you grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were a hoopster. And this is, yeah. this is where the story gets great. It's like, well, David didn't – he skipped 7th and 8th grade, <laughs> and he just went to Covington yeah. Latin High School. But I want to hear about David Justice, the kid, growing up, your childhood. Okay, so I grew up in Cincinnati, in, there, in Avondale, and one of the best neighborhoods to ever grow up in because I grew up on the streets with about 20 kids, Booney, and everybody on the street was an athlete, I swear. And our street was so long, Glenwood Avenue is so long, that we got the lower part of Glenwood, we got the upper part of Glenwood, I lived in the middle part. So the middle part kids, we were our own team and we would go down the street and we would play sports again. So, so I'll start it this way in the middle part of Glenwood. So across the street from my house and two doors up was, was a family that had a basketball court in the backyard. Okay. So that was our hoop court. I grew up in, in, in these houses, but behind the house, our house up on the hill was an apartment complex. The apartment complex was loaded with kids. And then there was another like complex up the street on the left, not as big, but they were loaded. So every day, I'm talking about every day of my life that I can remember when I went outside to play, we were either playing baseball, basketball, or football, just about every day. And, and if those rare times that we didn't play one of those sports, we would, uh, we play tag, hide and go seek. Like we were always running around. And my mom, my mom was saying, since night when I was growing up, we had this thing called don't let the street lights beat you. That means when them street lights start flickering, you better be on your way home. Okay. My mom was serious about that. She did not like me. I couldn't stay out all night. Like, like a few of the kids in my neighborhood, you know, most parents were, were like mine, but we know you have some of those friends and they get to hang out longer and you got to complain to your parents. Like, why do they get to hang out? But my mom was never hearing none of that. And she would ring this cowbell. And I would, I'd have to be on the giddy up, running toward the house, just, you know, yelling, here I come, mama. You know what I mean? And I just go on in the house. Uh, I went to Catholic school my whole, my whole life, Boney. Um, so, and the, the way the whole, the whole skipping the grades came. So I was, I went to St. Clement. I went to St. Joseph. Then I went to St. Clement. I went to St. Clement from fourth grade to sixth grade. And I was, I had tested in to go to Walden Hills High School, which is a, a pretty good high school in Cincinnati. Um, pretty good education there. I mean, you got to take a test to get in. And, but I was part of the big brothers, little brothers program. Like, um, my mom had put me in, put me in that 
And so the guy who was one of the organizers took a liking to me and he had a relationship with this private all boys school across the river in Covington, Kentucky called Covington Latin High School. And I went to visit and and I had to, I didn't go by myself. I had two of my other friends who went with me. And it was an expensive school boarding and but they had scholarships for for people in my situation. And just about half our school needed needed our money to go to my high school, but that's another thing. But uh, I would end up going to Covington Latin. I just thought it would be the coolest thing. One, I get to skip two grades. So that's two. Even though I was really smart in school, it's still two years of school. You're thinking, I don't even have to ever complete. I can go sixth grade to the ninth grade. So I was all in. And my mom, who was all about education, and actually so was I, Boone. Like, I was, I was one of those kids that grew up never even thinking about becoming a professional athlete. Never even, never even thinking about it. I was always thinking of being a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. But my youth sports teams that I grew up on in Cincinnati playing, I played on some dynasties as a kid. Like our, our basketball team, Jake Sweeney Chevrolet, we were 61-0, and 0, city and state champs, two years in a row. On our, ten, our 10-year-old team, our 11-year-old team. Uh, in football, I played for piano. I mean, we played our championship game at Nippert. At, at the Bearcats, we had that was a great organization. Uh, we we lost in the championship to Western AA, but I mean, and our baseball team. And see, back then, our our local, like our neighborhood baseball team, was like a travel team. Believe it or not, like we had some of the best ballers in Cincinnati on our team. And our only reason I'll mention the next part is because people will never believe this because it doesn't exist anymore. Really, is. 99% of our baseball team was black. We only had two white kids on our team, second baseman and catcher. Everybody, our, but not only was our team like that, it was like four other teams in the league just like that too, Booney. Like everybody played baseball in Cincinnati growing up. Baseball was, was huge to us. I, I don't know if you know Daryl Boston, grew up in the same neighborhood as me. I don't know if you know Debo, grew up in the same neighborhood. Debo was like a god in Cincinnati. He's like three years older than me, maybe three, four years older than me. But we all played baseball uh, in Cincinnati. I played basketball. I played football. I played all three. But when I went to high school at Covington Latin, they didn't have football. So football was over. And then I didn't play baseball because baseball was like my third sport. Baseball was just something that I did in the summertime because I did it my whole life in the summer from age seven until really until I got drafted. Um, I would just play in the summer. And I'd only play because my coach would call me and say, hey, David, are you playing this summer? And I would go, yeah, I'm playing, coach. But if coach didn't call me, Booney, if coach never called me, I'd be outside playing on the street with them 20 other kids. And we'd be playing us against the team because the lower part of Glenwood had their team. Or we'd be walking up the street to the upper part to play their team. I mean, that's all we did, whether it was baseball, basketball, football. We always played against up and down the street and another, another street, Alaska, which was right around the corner. So I go to Covington Latin, Booney, and I'm 12 years old as a freshman. That's, that's, I, the, I, that's the thing. That's what I wanted to clarify. That had to be oh. – I mean, that is so – That's what, what's that like for you? What it, well, you're going to tell me. What's it like going to high school at 12? You're hey, going with 14, 15-year-old hey, kids. Hey, Booney, you couldn't tell me that I wasn't cool as hell 
with, with, with my schooling because I woke up in Cincinnati. I thought it was the coolest thing to wake up, catch the bus to downtown Cincinnati. And I mean 12, catching the bus with the masses, like the, the you know me, like the city bus, catching it to downtown Cincinnati, get off the bus, walk three blocks to Union Terminal, because Union Terminal was where the bus from Kentucky would come to Cincinnati. They call it the tank. It would come to Cincinnati and pick up people from Cincinnati and then go to Kentucky. I'd, I'd take that bus. So it's two buses now. I'd take that bus, get off, in, and it lets me off right in front of my school, which was probably about two miles into Kentucky. I'd get off, walk across the street, go to school. After school, do the same thing in, re in reverse. Um, I was 12, but, but my school, Booney, is that type of school. You got to take a test to get into our school. And so my classmates were, some were 12 and 13. You could go there at age 14, but most of the kids that went to my high school are accelerated kids. You understand? So right, everybody's right. 12 or 13. Nobody's older than 12 or 13. Like, we didn't have nobody at 14 our freshman year. Okay, so the seniors so aren't, have, aren't 18, yeah. 19 years old. The seniors old. are 15. Nope, nope. The seniors are oh, like okay. 15, 16. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, yeah, where you see it, like I, like I always tell everybody, hey, Booney, we're going to beat everybody in speech and debate. We're not going to be nobody in sports. We're two, year, we're two years younger than everybody. But when I went to high school, by the time I graduated high school, I was an all-time leading scorer in my school's history that stood for over 30 years. Uh, a kid broke it. I can't remember. It was a few years back. He, I played two years varsity. He played three. So he got me. But I, I would end up being an all-time leading scorer at my high school. But I didn't play high school baseball, Booney, because just the logistics of it, it would, take, it would just too, be too much for me. It would be too much. It's in Kentucky, catching the bus late at night. I mean, just, it was a lot of variables involved there. So it wasn't that I didn't like baseball. It's just that the logistics wasn't right for me to play baseball. So I only played basketball. Uh, I played one game of soccer because they needed a goalie. But, I mean, I played basketball the whole time in college. And I would be known for basketball in Cincinnati growing up. No, I wasn't known for baseball. I'm known for basketball. And then the only school that would give me a full ride, Booney, the only school would give me a full ride was Thomas Moore College. Um, uh, and before I go into that, do you want to ask me another question about high school? Because if not, I can go into uh, how I got to Thomas More. No, we can, we can go right into Thomas More. I like it. I like sitting back and listening because so, because I went okay, through so, all this, but I'm like, I'm going to let David tell it so so we get it all right here. Go ahead. Yeah. So so I graduate high school. I'm first team all Catholic all American. We had the third winningest team in school history my senior year, and we were just a 500 team. That tells you how much our team loses. Uh, because, we, like I said, we play against older kids. Um, so, I, but the only school would give me a full ride, the only school was Thomas Moore College in Crestview Hills, Kentucky. So I signed to go, I signed, I'm going to go play basketball at this NAIA school, and I will trade my athletic ability for an education. And that's literally was the only thing on my mind. I show up in college, Booney, my first year. I red shirt because I'm only 16. I was 15. I turned 16 a year before graduation. So I didn't go to prom. I couldn't even drive to high school. I, I never drove to high school. I didn't start driving until I went to college because I turned 16 uh, a month before I graduated high school. 
So I go to I, that fall, I go to Thomas More College as a 16 year old. I redshirt my first year, okay? Obviously, because they want me to, to get bigger and stronger. But when I went to college, I was 6'2, I was 6'2, one, probably 180, 175, 180 when I, was, uh, when I went to college at 16. So my second year, I come out, Booney, I'm a redshirt freshman. And this is a true story. And again, this is one of the funniest things that could ever happen to somebody, and it happened, and it was the best thing that could happen to me. First day of conditioning for basketball. I'm talking about school just started in September, late August, September. I mean, school just started. We, we're, we're now it's time to train for basketball. Booney, they make us run about three miles, bro. I'm talking about just long distance, just for no reason, just run to the mountain and back, that type of stuff. Booney, I'm a guard. I come in last place on this run. And I don't mean like barely last place. I mean, the dude that finished second last had been finished. I come in late last. I'm holding my side. And I look over the hill, Booney, and the baseball team is practicing. And I said, you know what? If I play baseball, I can get out of this run for basketball. <laughs> I went home and got my glove and my spikes. And I came back the next day and I went and tried out for the baseball team. I was 17 years old. I went and tried for the baseball team. Obviously made the baseball team. So now, while they're doing that conditioning for basketball, I'm playing fall baseball. And when fall baseball is over, we're no longer doing the, doing the cross-country running. We're in the gym now. So I can run all day in a gym. Just don't ask me to run three miles for no reason. I can't do that. I'll run to, to the mountain and back. <laughs> so just don't tell me to run to the mountain and back. I, I can't do that. And so that's what I did, Booney. So we went into basketball. So they were in the gym. So I went back to the basketball team because my, my scholarship was basketball, not baseball. I played basketball that year. I sit. I don't get a lot of playing time. And in our college, we had a JV. So I started on a JV team. And then I, uh, I, I, I played behind a senior. You know, I just gave him, like, like, you know, not a lot of minutes. So now I come back my next year, Booney, and now I'm 18 years old. Now I'm 6'3", I'm 190, and I do the same thing. I go play fall baseball. And, Booney, I am raking. I'm raking in baseball. But I'm not thinking nothing of it. I'm at an NAIA school, man. I mean, we play against small, small schools like, not to say nothing bad about these schools, but I'm just telling you, we played against schools like Pikeville College. Alice Lloyd College, Union College, Cumberland College. You've never heard of these places. They were all very small schools down in Kentucky. So I'm not thinking much of it, but I am raking, Booney. I'm raking. So we go play against uh, Xavier. We go play Xavier University, Division I. And it was one of those games where you know how, like, Division One, Booney, you probably went D1, so you know how y'all scheduled them little small NAIA schools to thump them, to beat them. Right, right. You know, the the midweek, the midweek to get in shape, yeah. yeah. You know how it is. <laughs> you, know, you know how it is, right? Well, we were that team that got scheduled. Yet, once again, the team I played for at Thomas More was one of the best schools they ever had when I was there. One of the best teams they ever had. So we come in and play Xavier. We beat the brakes off, off Xavier. My first at bat, Booney, I, I, I hit a home run over the right field sports complex, a bomb. 
My third at bat, I come up, they bring a lefty in to face me with the bases loaded. First pitch out his hand, I take him over the, over the, over the sports complex in right field. Now, in the stands, as I remember it, in the stands is the Brave Scout. That's what they tell me. That I, I would later find this out later. The Brave Scout was there looking at Xavier and saw me. Booney, I'm on no radar. There, no, there, I, there is no book on me. He's sitting there looking at me. I'm 6'3", 190. I can run. I got a cannon for an arm. I'm hitting bombs. And he's like, who the heck is this kid? Well, he asked about me to our statistician or something. This is the story I got. And our statistician basically told him, that's David Justice. He skipped two grades. He is. Oh, oh yeah, because he thought the book, you know, the, the, the program was wrong. He thought it was incorrect because my age didn't match what the program was saying, my years in school. When he found out that I was only 18 years old, and this is my third year of college, Booney, which means I can be drafted this year. He said, I would later find this out, he said to himself, I'm not telling nobody about this kid right here. He called the Atlanta Braves Hall of Fame scout, Paul Snyder, and said, Paul, you got to get to Cincinnati. I think I just found a needle in a haystack. Now, Booney, I don't know none of this. I just know we just whooped Xavier. And we just continue on in the season. Well, my last, what would be my last game um, of my college career is we're playing, I think it was Kentucky State we were playing. And I'm walking, from, well, I'm in the dorms. And I remember walking across to the bathroom. I got my uniform on. I'm just going to the bathroom before I walk down to the field. And as I'm about to go down the hall, like four of the tennis guys were at the other end of the hall because, you know, we all stay in the dorms together. And they were like, DJ, hey, man, you guys about to play? I go, yeah, they're playing right now. They were like, okay, we coming. We coming to check you out. They throwing beers in the cooler. I mean, they doing all that stuff, right? So here we are walking over the hill. It's four tennis dudes with a cooler and me. We walk over the hill, and there's the baseball field. And I see all these cars, Booney, lined up. And I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of people here to see Kentucky State because at our games, man, we probably only get like 12 people at, and, and 10 of them are parents at our, at our home <laughs> games. Nobody came to watch us play. Nobody. It'd be parents and a couple of the fellas like the tennis team, if they happen to see me walking, they might come down there for a couple of innings, you know what I mean, and mess around. But then they gone, right? So – as I'm walking across the street, some of my teammates are giving me that look like, man, come here, come here. So I walk over to them. I'm like, what, what's up? They're like, man, look at all them scouts. And Booney, it was so funny. Because as soon as they said, look at all them scouts, I turned and looked toward, toward the line, and every one of them was looking at me in my eyes, every one of them, every one of those scouts. And then I was like, oh, shit. The word had got out that there was a kid over at Thomas More College Okay, that might be draftable. I guess it's only I could assume, right, Booney? So my first at bat, Booney, of a doubleheader, I would strike out. I struck out, bro. And I remember walking back to the dugout saying, I'm about to have the worst day of my life. That was my fourth strikeout of the year. I had only struck out three times, Booney, up until that point. That was my fourth strikeout. I proceeded to go six for eight, Booney, with four triples. Now, Booney, you played with me. You know I ain't got a lot of triples in the bag. You know that, right? <laughs> you're pulling up. You're pulling up before it becomes a triple. <laughs> you already know the, the parachute is out between first and second. Right. You already know that. Okay. 
So if I got four triples, that means something had to happen. Well, Booney, our home field at Thomas More College, we didn't have a home run fence. <laughs> so it was a big field. So you just hit it far and hope you can run all the way around in time. <laughs> so I couldn't make it in time. So it, they, they got the ball back to the infield. So it was four triples. <laughs> so wow. our baseball field, we didn't even have a home run fence. So anyway, I remember seeing the Brave Scout sitting on a hill in left field. I remember that. And, but the day before that, I had pitched, Boney. So when we did infield, my arm was tired from pitching the day before. Because I pitched in college, too. Well, the, you know, the season's over with. I don't know anything, Boney. I, know, I don't know anything. But my teammates are saying to me, hey, man, you might get drafted. So we have these conversations, you know, in the dorms and stuff. And, and everybody's sitting there, and they're like, man, honestly, they got to go through all the Division One schools first. <laughs> you know what I mean? They got to go through. All, then I don't know when they get to the NAIA school. So, they you probably get drafted in the ah, 25th round, 30th round. And I'm sitting there laughing because I believe them. I'm like, yeah, I agree. I agree with y'all if I even get drafted because nobody has ever been drafted out of Thomas More College, Bowling, ever. That, that's not where – Guys that play in the big leagues go to college. They don't go to Thomas More College. That's where no. That's where guys go that skip two grades and are going to be doctors and lawyers. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so Booney, um, it's, it's it's okay. So, the day before the draft, my my neighborhood baseball coach all those years stops by the house. His son, who was the best player on our baseball team. His name was Andrew Denson. He was drafted in the first round by the Atlanta Braves in 1984 draft. See, we were on the same team our whole lives. But when I skipped those two grades, I'm now going to graduate in 82, and they graduated in 84. My buddies did. They graduated two years. So that's how it was. Well, anyway, he was drafted out of high school in 84 in the first round by the Braves. His dad, and now I'm talking about I was drafted in 85, so – the day before the 85 draft, Drew has already played rookie ball, Andrew. His dad is in my, in, in my driveway talking to me. And I say, Mr. Denson, when do you think I'm going to get drafted, if I get drafted? He looks at me and he goes, oh, you're going to be drafted in the top five rounds. Hey, Booney, if I could, if I could die and come back to life, come back to, life, uh, to a life, right then, I could have died. I looked at him like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, there's no freaking way. I'm at Thomas Moore College. He goes, watch. So now I'm, I'm hyped on draft day, Booney. Because he told me this. So I'm thinking, oh, shit, this might be true. So, I, you know, Booney, this is back when we got a call waiting. So I'm on top of the phone, damn near, just looking at the phone. From I wake up about 8.30, and I don't leave that phone, bro. So I get two calls that day, Booney, both calls from the same teammate in college who I aired him out both times for calling me because I don't want, I can't have him called and messing up the line and then the Braves or whoever calls me and you know, they don't get through. Right. So I go off on him. I hang up the phone and it was probably about three or four in the afternoon, buddy. The phone rings again. I mean, this is the only time it rang all day. I pick up the phone and I, and I immediately recognize the voice. It's Hep Cronin. Hep Cronin is the father of Mick Cronin, the UCLA basketball coach, basketball coach. 
my man too. But uh, help goes, hey, David, it's help. We got you. And I immediately knew it was the Braves, right? And Booney, man, I, you just don't even know, man. I, I yelled down the hall to my mom. She coming down the hall crying, screaming. Because, you know, your parents think, my, my mama think you already made it to the big leagues. She forget we got to go through the minor leagues first. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> she thinks you're going to Turner Field. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I'm going to play for the Braves tomorrow. You know? <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, man. And then, so then I say to my dad, because it's like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, right? I'm like, help. You know, like, when did I get drafted? And he goes, oh, we got you this morning. You're drafting the fourth round. Boney, I about dropped the phone. Because I, I just, there's no way you could have convinced me that I wouldn't be drafted lower than the 25th round because of the school I went to. You understand what I mean? Right. And, and, and that, year, when all, that year, go ahead. Now, when all this is happening, what's going on with the basketball side? Oh, so I'm, no, no. So, so I'm a redshirt sophomore the year I got. So that what I just, the story about Xavier, that was in the spring. So right. back it up. Basketball season before spring, I, I lead our team in in uh, in in assists and in dunks. I'm my starting point guard, and and Booney. But like my last, I would say five to ten games of that year, I was really starting to come into how I was in high school. Like I started flat out balling because my basketball ability, um. Booney was division one capabilities. My basketball, if you ask anybody that saw me play basketball growing up, they will tell you I'm known for basketball, Booney. I averaged 26 and a half points a game in high school, Booney. Like I could flat out ball and hoop. And I was 18. See, so if I, if I didn't skip two grades, Booney, I believe I would have been a McDonald's All-American in basketball or definitely one of the baddest dudes to come out of the area ever. I, that's how I felt. Because, I mean, I was only a sophomore. I was 15 years old doing this in basketball when I, was, when I was balling my senior year. I was only 15. I had two more years of high school basketball that I never got a chance to play because, you know, I skipped the grades. So you so get drafted. You get drafted in the fourth on. round. You get, you get drafted in the fourth round with the Braves. You're, you're playing at a high level. You're starting to come in your own hoop-wise. Well, you end up signing yep. with the Braves, but are you thinking, yep. well, I guess that's, a, I guess my basketball career is over or no, did you consider I, I continuing no, to go? Because I never, look, in basketball, Booney, remember Booney, I never once ever thought about being a professional athlete. I didn't think I could play pro basketball. I was just using basketball to get my education. I was majoring in criminal justice and psychology. Bro, I was on my way to becoming the male version of Jody Foster from Silence of the Lambs. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. And no, my, it's, and it's, my um, advisor in school, bruh, I was on a fast pace, Booney, to the FBI. Like literally, they were looking for young guys, athletic guys, minorities. I was checking all the boxes, Booney. All the boxes. I was going to the FBI. Basketball was just, to, just, I was just going to play basketball, get my degree. I wasn't planning on playing on professional basketball. Why would I think that? Out of Thomas More College? Like, I was realistic, man. I was like, anyway, once again, you're not going to take a basketball player out of, out of Thomas More College any more than you're going to take a baseball player out of Thomas More College, right? That's what I was thinking. 
So, but then, then I messed around and got drafted. And Booney, how funny is this? I get drafted. And I remember before I went to, before I went to uh, rookie ball, I remember thinking, man, I'm going to go down here for a couple years and have some fun. And then they're going to probably send me home. Because once again, I'm thinking, these dudes are way better than me. I mean, they went to, they went to UCLA and USC and Stanford. I'm just thinking this in my head. I don't know any better. And I'm coming from a small school, so I know they got to be way better than me. So I'm going to go down here for a couple years and have fun. And they're going to send me home. I'll go back home. I'll go to my last year of college. And then I'll just go into the FBI. That's literally how I, I had it in my mind, Booney. So then I go to Pulaski, Virginia. My, I got to tell you this. I go to Pulaski, Virginia, my first year in the minor leagues. And, Booney, this, this, this I, will, I, will, I will speak on perspective. So before, we're in Pulaski, Virginia. This is 1985. Pulaski, Virginia is 1965. It's 1985, but it's 65. And I'm standing in front, outside our locker, locker room, and I'm looking at the baseball field, Booney. It's opening night. We playing under the lights. I had never played under the lights. This is going to be a first time. Booney, we got about 500 fans in the stadium. I used to play in front of 12 people, 20 at the max. It's 500 people. We got lights. Hey, Booney, I looked in the outfield. Yeah, we had a home run fence too, Booney. Ain't no more. Booney, Booney. I see the home run fence, and I say to myself, oh, yeah, bro, it's on. I say this to myself, oh, it's on. <laughs> it's on. I got something to aim for. <laughs> hey, hey, Booney, Booney, Booney. My teammate, who was a pitcher, I ain't going to put his name on blast, but he came out and stood beside me. He went to Pepperdine. You know, Pepperdine is in Malibu, right? Yeah. He went to Pepperdine. He, he taps me on the arm and he goes, hey, DJ, ain't this a piece of shit? <laughs> Moody, Moody, I had just made this out to be one of the best places I could ever play. He walks up and says, DJ, ain't this a piece of shit? And I'm thinking, hell no. It's not. We play under the lights. We got 500 people. And it's a home run fence? Man, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Let's go play. I'm ready. I'm ready to play. Let's go. So, Booney, Booney, I would end up leading the league in home runs. I tied with our third base. We tied for the lead in home runs. I was about fourth in RBIs. Um, and I made the all-star team. But, but Booney, I was green, bro. Like, really. Like, all my stuff was just natural ability. I had never been taught anything. I mean, like, I didn't play, I didn't play like travel ball like that. I didn't, I didn't do none of that. So, and I think that's what the Braves saw in me. They just saw a natural, a guy with a natural swing with upside. You know how they draft your own potential. We know how that works. But the one thing that I will say, Booney, is the Atlanta Braves had the best minor league coaches that you could ever find, bro, when I was coming through the minor leagues. You know, Brian Snicker was my manager in A-ball. He was my manager the very next year. Snit was. Great manager. I love it. I'm so glad they won the World Series. I'm so glad Snit got it. But Ryan Snicker was my, was my manager in A-ball the next year. Leo Mazzoni was our pitching coach in low A-ball. Low A. Clarence Jones, who would end up being our hitting coach in the big leagues, he was yeah. our hitting coach in low A-ball. Like, we had great coaches in the Braves minor leagues. And my, my coach, my head coach, 
in, in uh, rookie ball was a guy named Craig Robinson who played in the big leagues. And he taught me, I mean, he was a shortstop, but he taught me how to, how to come down on the ball, basically. You know, I, you know how Sheffield created that backspin, you know, like, like Winfield. Yeah. Like, that's, that was my mentality, too, like come down through the ball. He taught me that my, in my rookie year. And the one thing I will say, Booney, about myself is same way in golf, Booney. If we go play golf and you show me something and I understand it, I don't even need a week to work on it. I'll just do it right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it now. I don't, need to, I don't need to work on something for a week before I get it. You understand? And that's right. why my progression in rookie ball was so quick because as soon as he showed me what I should be doing, hitting, like, 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 like I knew how to hit, but it was just natural. Once I started to understand how to hit, understand the pitchers, under, just understand the game, man, I just, I just took off fast. Because I could, because the physical part, all that stuff, I could implement quick, quickly. And then, so just, just kind of tell you, just so maybe give you an understanding of the minor leagues with the Braves. So my, my second year in A-ball, this is what I meet Mark Lemke, who will become our second baseman. Mark Lemke was riding the bench, Boney. He was riding the bench. Mark Lemke went to Rod Gilbert and said, Give me an opportunity to play, and if I don't play well, you can just release me. Because we had Ellis Roby from Arkansas at second base, who was drafted in my year uh, in the fifth round, right behind me, and he was the second baseman. I mean, he was great. He was good. He was good. Mark Lemke, they put him at third base, Booney. We had a guy out of Texas. Um, I can't think of his name right now. We had a guy out of um, Dodd Johnson. We had Dodd Johnson out of Texas. And... I don't know what happened. Dodd got hurt or something, and they put Lemke at third base. And Booney, you should have seen Lemke take off. Lemke and I was leading our A-ball team in home runs. Lemke! Lemke! Lemke hit right in front of me. He hit second. I hit third. He was leaving on him, Booney. You should have seen him in A-ball, Booney. <laughs> is this Is this in Durham? No, no. We're in uh, uh, um, Sumter. Sumter. South Sumter. Carolina. Okay. So we, so we in Sumter. So I'm playing with Lemke. Um, I don't know if Merker is there yet. I don't know if Mike Stanton is there yet. Uh, they might be a couple years later. But, but Lemke. So then I only play half a season. I get moved up to high A, to Durham. And they, and to play, they put me in center field. Now, I've been playing right field the whole time. They put me in center field. And now I meet Ronnie Gant and Jeff Blauser. Okay? They're the shortstop. Ronnie Gant was second base, Booney. I don't know if you knew this. Did you know? I, I, yeah, I knew that Ronnie is Ronnie was well. Ronnie was on that team that you ended up beating us in '95. Ronnie was our yeah, yeah, uh, was our left fielder on that team. I know. Yeah, man. Listen, Ronnie is like my brother for real, man. Like me and Ronnie again have hit third and fourth in the minor leagues all over the place. <laughs> Ronnie and I hitting behind each other. Okay, Ronnie had twenty six. I want to say twenty six homers, a hundred and two ribbies. In the A ball, I had I had combined twenty two homers, one hundred and five RBIs, and I only played four months that year. Four months, that's it, because I got I got I got a staph infection and I was out for a whole month. So Ronnie and I always we right there together. I meet Ronnie Gant, I meet Jeff Blauser. All right, I already met Lipke. So remember, I was telling you earlier, I'm running across the guys who would eventually we all be together in the big league. 
but we're together in the minor leagues. And you know the minor leagues, nobody has any money. So we do everything together. You know, on the road, I don't know how much you play in the minor leagues, Bonnie, but in the road, on the road, it seems like every hotel, there was a Denny's across the street. <laughs> or an IHOP. I, or a, yeah, or a Waffle House. <laughs> Waffle House, Waffle House, right? So we all would go together. And we were building these ties, these brotherly ties, not knowing that one day we would all be in the big leagues together with these same brotherly ties that we developed in the minors. So then I, 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 the next year I go to, well, the next year going in spring training, I break my wrist in 1987. I break my wrist right in front of Hank Aaron and Bobby Cosbrough, trying to make a great play, trying to impress, diving for a ball that I knew, I knew when I dove, I knew my angle was wrong, but still trying to make a play, broke my wrist. I'm out till June, Boney. I come back in June, and I have one of those snake-bitten years where you hit everything I hit hard, I got caught, and then everything I didn't hit hard, I got out. I hit like 227 in double-A, Boney, for the second half of the season. I didn't raise no hell, Boney. I didn't raise no hell. The next year, I went to triple-A because our coaches write, you know, they write those reports after every game where our coach was writing, hey, Justice didn't get no hit, but damn if he didn't hit the shit out the ball. You see, that's how he's writing it. So, I, the next year in 88, I go to, uh, I go, I start out in AAA, Bono, and I am leading the International League in home runs the first month. I got like five homers. I got like, I don't know how many, I, I, was, on, I was on fire early. And I went, I remember going 0 for, I think I was 0 for 5 against uh, the Mets AAA team. That's a, uh, uh, Tidewater. I think it was Tidewater in Virginia yeah. Beach, wherever that is. I think it's Tidewater. And I went over five, Boney. And I remember my manager came to me and he said, uh, Hey, David, I don't think you can hit that way and be successful. Now, Boney, I'm leading the league in homers and ribbies. I just had a bad night, right? Well, I didn't want to get labeled as, you know, a problem, you know, young player or, or, or a kid who doesn't listen or, and, you know, I didn't want none of that, right, Booney? So I'm like, okay, coach, well, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Well, two months later, Booney, I'm hitting in the Mendoza line. I don't even want to walk to the plate. That's where my confidence is. My confidence is horrendous, right? And the Braves demote me back to double-A. Now, Booney, this is monumental to me because this is the first time now that I'm going the other way. That ain't the way you want to go if you're trying to get to the big leagues, right? So I remember going back to double-A. And my manager in double A was the manager I had in Durham the previous year when I got called up and I was just raking. And when I walked in the office, he goes, hey, hey, DJ, I want you to hit however you think you need to hit. That's what he said to me. I'll never forget it. I said, okay, okay, Skip. And, and, and what he told me to go back to hitting like is how you saw me hit, Booney, in the big leagues. That was always where I hit. But I told myself this, Booney. I said, if I don't make it to the big leagues, it'll never be because I did it somebody else's way. If I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to make it in what I know how I can be successful, how I swing. And so we went to, we lost in a championship to the AA, believe it or not, to the Cincinnati Reds. We lost uh, in AA in 88. We lost to, remember Chris Jones? Remember Chris Jones? I do. Remember Chris Jones? Chris Jones, he was on that team. 
Chris Jones, they had a lot of guys. I can't remember the guys' names, though, but I remember Chris Jones. It was Chris Jones, they, and they beat us in the, in the championship. The Reds beat the Braves, beat us. And then the next year, I would go back to AAA, and this was 89, and I get called up in, in May. I get called up in May for the first time. Hey, Booney, I don't know how you were or where you were when you got called up, but when I walked in that office in AAA, they told me I was getting called to the big leagues. When I tell you, a, a fear came over my body like you ain't never seen. Mooney, Mooney, I was so scared. What? What? I'm going to big leagues. Now, mind you, here we are. We, we, we're working this hard to play in the big leagues. And then now I get a chance to go to big leagues, and I am frightened. I'm scared. I go to the big leagues. Mooney, I'm on the field. I remember we were playing the Cardinals, Mooney. I do play Pittsburgh first. I would get a hit my first game. But then we, we go play the Cardinals. And Booney, I am standing on the field looking at Ozzie Smith and Willie McGee and Vince Coleman and Terry Pelton. And my mouth is just open because I just saw y'all on Sports Center like three days ago, right? And now I'm on the field with y'all. Like, I couldn't believe it, it was Ozzie Smith. I could not believe it. And because of how I felt, I remember once, once I got to the big leagues and became a veteran, whenever we, whenever be a young guy come to the big leagues and I see him, see him look at me or something, I would always go over and talk to him because I know what they probably feeling. They probably feeling how I felt. Well, wasn't, so, wasn't it cool though? Cause, because, you know, nowadays it's so, it's so different with these cell phones that we carry around. Everybody has so right. much show me right now. There's so much information out there and you, and you hit it on the head. And I've told this story a, a lot of times, the minor leagues for us was play the game, go home and watch, watch sports center and watch baseball tonight. And that's all we did. And that's the only <laughs> that's place we, we could get it. Now, you know, we can get on our phone and we can see anything we want in real time. But back then, no, I, I I'm, back then. I, I'm, I'm with you when you say, I was just watching you on SportsCenter. Center. Now I'm playing against you. It's yeah. it's almost like you're in a movie. And totally. And, and Booney, you're right. Our furniture in Sumter, we had two lawn chairs, like the lawn chairs you have at the beach. That cheap. Two lawn chairs, and we got some crates. We got some milk carton crates from around the corner, and that was our TV stand. And we put a TV on top of it. And after every game, we would come home and sit in, sit in those two lawn chairs and watch Sports Center. That's what we would do. That would be our night. And then yep. we had a couple uh, guys that played in Venezuela and Dominica who would make the beans and rice. That's when I first got hit the beans and rice. Man, and they could cook up that beans and rice. And that, that was, that's all we did. And in the daytime, Booney, before we went to the yard, we'd watch Young and Restless. Because in rookie ball, one of my I had I had three roommates in rookie ball. Uh, that team in Pulaski, our living let me tell you our living condition. It was four I had four it was four of us in a trailer. We lived in a trailer on top of a mountain. I'm talking about a trailer trailer. We had two a two bedroom trailer, four guys. And in the daytime, we had two couches in the living room. In the daytime, there were couches. At nighttime, one of the couches was my bed. The other couch was a catcher from, from Chicago. It was his bed. And then the reason why the other two got the room 
was because one, I really didn't care. I'm, I'm, I got a frat boy mentality. I can sleep anywhere. So I don't care about sleeping on the couch. So Ellis Roby, who I was telling you about earlier, he's, he had one room and then James Nowlin, he was a pitcher on our team. He had the back room. And the reason why he got the room is because he had the car. He was the only guy that had the car, so he got the room because he had a car. And guess what kind of car he had, Booty? He had a yellow Pinto. A yellow Pinto. I don't know if you've seen what a Pinto looks like. Google it. Look at a yellow Pinto. That's the kind of car he had. Booty was four brothers riding in a, in a Pinto. In a Pinto every day to the yard. <laughs> but that's, you know, that, and, that's, yep. and I tell, I tell the stories about it, too. You know, I played, I kind of mirrored your minor league. You played in Durham. I played in Peninsula. The pilots were in that league. Mm-hmm. And then your Greenville was my Jacksonville in the Southern League. Mm-hmm. And we didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I, people ask you about that minor league experience. It's like, you know, all I cared about was getting to the yard, playing good so I could get out of there. And I want to get to the big leagues and I don't care where I slept. I remember getting to peninsula, you know, when I signed out of, out of college and I played my first half year in, in that Carolina league. Mm-hmm. And that's not when, you know, organizations didn't pay for your housing, didn't have housing for you. They gave you a night in the hotel and now you're on your own with your 750 bucks mm-hmm. a, a month that you make. So I just went to the mm-hmm. ballpark and I said, hey, I, I need a place to stay. And guys said, well, we've got four guys in this place. There's no bed, but you can have the couch. It'll be we'll charge you 125 for the month. I said, I'm in. And I didn't care. It's like, just give me yeah. home, give me some food, and let's watch Sports Center and let's go to the ballpark tomorrow and let's do it again. And you look back, you know, when it's all said and done, and, and we both had the, the the careers that we had. But those minor league times were cool. They were fun. That that was the grind. That was all that work and all that all that you know. We didn't we didn't care what kind of car we had or if we had it. We just needed something nope. to get us to the ballpark. And, and uh, yep, I, I think that says a lot. It, and it I don't know. It's a part of the process, you know. And I see these young kids. Yeah. You don't want to get too much too early. You got to earn this stuff. I, I don't know. I look yep. back at my minor league times and I, and I. Not that I cherish them, but I really look fondly upon those years because it was tough. And David, how about when you go, you're in the big leagues for a few years, then you got to go back to the minor leagues and and play in an exhibition game. You can't see. Yeah. And it's like, how did we ever do this? Well, we didn't know any better. We were just hungry kids trying to get to the big leagues and we didn't care about backdrops or, or the lights or or playing at six o'clock when the sun was setting. But that's that's what the minor leagues is all about, and and that's cool to to hear those stories. Yeah, bro, I love the minor leagues. Like like we had so much fun in the minor leagues coming up with the Braves organization, because you got guys from all over the country, right, and now all over the world. And we used to have to take this real long road trip. I can't remember where it was now. Uh, it was a long one we had to take. It might have been, you know what? It might have been. From Greenville to Jacksonville. It might Jacksonville. have been that one. Yeah, it is. It might have been that one. We had to take a long trip. And man, when I tell you it was long, but the amount of singing that was going on on that bus, because guys from all over the country, so guys would, would be singing the songs. And then all of a sudden they start joking. And then they start, I'm telling you, our teams, our, my teams were so much fun. Like we never had any team dissension amongst the players. 
on, and I'm telling you, on any of the teams I played with in the minors, not one. Everybody was cool. Like our whole, like the Braves drafted none but cool dudes. That's what it felt like. I mean, it really did. And so the money gonna... stories. Oh, but 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 you're right though. When you get to the big leagues, I remember my uh my second year in the big leagues, I hurt my back. So I'm coming off rookie of the year, uh, Booney, 1990. And you know, as a rookie of the year, the one thing that you want to escape is what the sophomore jinx, right? Because they're gonna make sure to remind you that it exists, right? So I remember in the offseason thinking, thinking, I cannot have, I cannot slide in my second year. Like, I, uh, I got to play good. And I'm, I remember telling myself that. Well, at the, uh, right before the All-Star break, Booney, in 1991, I'm leading the National League in RBIs. I'm hitting over 300. I'm, having a, I'm off to a really good, solid start in my second year in the big leagues, and I get a stress fracture in my back. How? I have no idea. I just remember we were in, we were in, uh, in uh, Montreal. And after the first game, my back was sore. I thought I slept wrong. By the third game, I couldn't play, Booney. They put me on the disabled list. I don't get, I don't make the all-star team. Um, Lou Pinelli had told Bobby Cox that he would have took me though, which which felt good. Um, but I don't, I don't go to the all-star game. I'm out two months, Booney. Two months with with a, with a stress fracture in my back. But to come back, I got to go to Macon, Georgia, to play for a weekend. Oh my God, Booney. Booney, I walked into Macon, Georgia, and like you said, I I could I was looking around like what the hell, right? Not as if I done totally forgot that I've been playing in the minor leagues for about four years, you know, prior prior to this, having a great time. And now I'm looking at it like what the heck is this? But so you're right. Once you go back down, it's it's, it's just weird. It's weird. But going down was also fun because. I don't know. I always had in me like that feeling of trying to impart wisdom on the dudes behind me that they're coming through the minor leagues. Right. So I'm down and Chipper's down there. Chipper's down there in Macon. He's down there. I think, I think Chipper was, Chipper, Chipper was, he was there because he, he remembered it. I didn't remember it. He was there. He was telling me about the day when I came down there, the, the weekend. But again, just talking to those guys and just, trying to give them, you know, uplift on, on how to get to the big leagues. That, that, that part was, was all, cause I, I, I played down in the minor leagues twice in my career, two times. And both times I, I have one, one was 91. The other time was 2000 and 2001 when I was the Yankees, I had to go play in double a for two games. Uh, but, but being able to go back down there, because now by the time I got to the Yankees, I've been in the big leagues for so long that I knew that, going down and talking to these young guys would be different than going down and talking to them with my second year in the big leagues. But, but I enjoyed that part of it. But yeah, when you go back down, man, it is a weird feeling, bro. It really is, you know, but the, Hey, hey but the goal is to never go back down. Right. That's the goal. That's right. That's right. So 90, you know, 90, win the rookie of the year, so, you hit 28 homers, 282. Yep. Um, yep. And you're, repl- and you're replacing Dale Murphy. Which is a big deal yep. in Atlanta. That's a that's a sure big is. deal. Uh, Bobby sure Cox, is. the second half of ninety, takes over. He goes from the front office to to now he's the skipper. And, and the thing that I that was amazing when I was looking over your career is after that ninety season, you win rookie of the year. You guys don't go to the postseason. You didn't miss the postseason the rest of your career. And and right. I just thought how and you know what it took me back to. 99 when I played with the Braves that one year 
And I remember being in a shares meeting and we, I had gotten to the postseason a couple of times with the Reds. And I remember being in that postseason shares meeting and, and Tommy Glavid's running it. And he goes, okay, we're going to give a share to this. And, and they're giving out shares like they're cookies. And I raised my uh-huh. hand. I said, Tommy, how many shares are we going to give out? And he looks at me and goes, Booty, we here in Atlanta, we go to the postseason every year. So we're, <laughs> we're quite giving with our shares. And I started laughing. And everybody around me started laughing. I said, well, I haven't been to the postseason 10 years in a row. This is kind of a special thing for me. And he's laughing like, no, this is we do this every year. And I was thinking about it when I was when I was getting ready for this. And I'm going. David went to a shares meeting every single year. I mean, because, you know, we'll get on to it later in the podcast when you go to Cleveland, who who basically was a mirror image of the Braves of the 90s in the American League. They were winning pennant mm-hmm. after pennant after pennant over there. You go there and then you end up with New York and then finishing with Oakland. And, and of course, yep. because it's justice going to Oakland, we're just going to win 102 games and go to the postseason that year, overcome my <laughs> Mariners. So interesting to me and so cool uh 91 bobby now it's his first full season as as the skipper there you go to the world series we talked about that earlier uh you lose to the minnesota twins 92 the that great toronto ball club beat you uh and then 93 your first all-star game you hit 40 jacks you drive in 120 and, and now those braves team you're right because you were the you were the only game in town it was you and the cubs you know, and that's yep. what everybody saw on TV was the Braves and the Cubs. You were two, you were America's teams. And it, yep. that had to be kind of like the way we look at the Yankees nowadays or the Dallas Cowboys. Everywhere mm-hmm. you go, mm-hmm. it's a big deal. So take me through through those first leading up to that to that 95 season, which obviously you won the World Series, your first World Series, uh, your first of two, uh, 93, 94. Mm-hmm. We all went through that. You were an all star both yep. years. That was the yep. strike season when when Bud came out to the podium and yep. canceled the World Series. But I want to get to that 95 and that whole season. You already mentioned, and, and you, you gave me some bad memories came back. You whooped us in, in the NLCS. <laughs> but t- take me through that 95 year and finally getting it done for the city of Atlanta. Okay, so but before I take you through that, I have to go back to 1990 when I went rookie of the year real quick. Okay. On, they, they, trailed, they, they, they trade Dale Murphy on August the 2nd, 3rd, maybe 3rd, maybe? Somewhere around there. Who's, who's, who's about as big a deal in Atlanta – at that point, yeah. as anyone ever has been, maybe with the exception of Hank oh. Aaron. Hey, he's the only reason that the fans are even watching us. The fans literally were calling in fans, we will never watch the Braves again when they traded Del Murphy. That's what was being said. That was the heat on the Braves. But there was a meeting that took place between myself and our hitting coach, Clarence, Clarence Jones. The day before Murphy's trade, I think it was. Couldn't have been two days before. The day before Murphy's trade. It was the day before Murphy's traded. Clarence Jones, who I call him my hitting guru, who I would say if there's anybody made me who I was, I'm giving him a large part of that. He comes to me, Booney, and he says, hey, David, this is what I want to do. Booney, I was hitting 238 with eight home runs, and 28 RBIs. That's all, Booney, on August the 2nd, 3rd. I wasn't raising no hell. I was platooning with um, Francisco Cabrera. 
Clarence Jones says this to me. He goes, hey, David, this is what I want to do. I want you to get up on top of the plate, on top of the plate, like two inches off the inside corner. I want you to stand up straight. He goes, and here's what's going to happen. They're going to throw you nothing but fastballs. They're going to gas you inside. <laughs> he goes, he goes, and you're going to be leaving the yard on them. He said, David, it'll be two weeks left in the season when they realize they can't get inside on you. He said, stay on the fastball until two strikes. And look what I say to him. Now, now boy, we're going totally drastic against what, what I was doing prior to that. Prior to that, I was off the plate trying to use the whole field in a little bit of a crouch. You know, that, that was my stance. And one day, I totally stood up, opened my stance, Boone The next day I go out, and from August the 3rd to October 3rd, I hit 20 home runs with 50 RBIs, and I batted 335, I think 335 in those last two months. Now, look at this, Booney. When he, look what he said to me, too. He said, and David, if you do this, I guarantee you your home runs will go up, your RBIs will go up, and you'll be right back in the running for rookie of the year. Tell me he was not a prophet, bro. Clarence Jones literally said this to me the day before. I go out the next day, and it literally worked out exactly what he said. Boney, they were trying to gas me inside, and I was leaving. I hit 10 home runs in my first 11 games. I hit 11 home runs in the first 15 games. Boney, I was going deep almost every night. I was on Brian Gumbel's show with uh, Kevin Moss. We were Kevin Moss of the Yankees because he was hitting a lot of home runs too. We were yep. on we were on Brian Gumbel's morning show. So I had, to, I had to throw that in there because a lot of people don't know that. My rookie year was really my last. My, I won the rookie year in my last two months of the season all because I believed in what my hitting coach was telling me. And remember what I told you earlier. I don't have to work on something for a few weeks. Just I can put it into play right then. The first game I hit two home runs, Boney, because they tried to gas me inside because I'm a natural pool hitter, Boney. I had to learn to hit the ball the other way. I'm a natural pool. I can pull anybody. And, and he made the pitchers. He knew the pitchers were going to try to gas me inside. He knew it. And I could keep the ball inside fair. I could keep it fair. I wouldn't pull them foul. I could keep them fair. So fast forward. 1993, Boney, I have another conversation with Clarence, Clarence Jones before the game. I'm telling you this story because you mentioned my production in 93. Clarence Jones comes to me in spring training. And he says, hey, David, listen, you can hit 20 home runs a year uh, in, in this game. Easy, easy. He said, but if you want to make a name for yourself in this game, you have to learn to drive the ball everywhere. Because my first three years, Booney, I was still a, a pool hitter, basically. Most of my, I would say 99% of my home runs were definitely right center, right field. I might have one home run a year opposite field. And it's an accident. So he said, he says to me, if you want to make a name for yourself in this game, you got to learn how to drive the ball the other way. I said, okay, well, what we got to do? He said, well, we got to show up early every day to spring trade and we're going to work on it. Looney, the next day I showed up early. And I learned off the tee first. And I learned soft toss. I learned how to hit the ball the other way. And then it was a work in progress. You know, now I got to continue working on it. And I continue to work until the end of my career. But that's when it started. The reason why I hit 40 home runs in 1993, because only two guys in the National League hit 40 home runs that year. Barry had 46. 
and I had 40. Nobody else had 40 home runs in the National League in 1993. It was just us two. But I went from hitting 28, 21, 21 to 40 because I had learned how to drive the ball the other way. And so, once again, listening to Clarence Jones and doing what he says, I'm developing as a player. Now you go to 95. Now, 91, we done lost to Minnesota. I still think we're a better team than them. They just, they just outplayed us. You, you know how it is, Boney. When you got two really good teams, it's always going to be one play here or there that's going to determine the win. You know how it goes. Both teams are good. It's who made, who made the most mistakes? Who's going to make the mistake that's going to give up a run and, and you're going to lose by a run? Well, 91 against Minnesota, we just made mistakes that, that whether we were young or whatever, I, I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't even say that. I would say we just didn't make the plays, and they did, because I don't think they were better than us. I mean, we mollywhopped them in Atlanta, and then went back to Minnesota, and we just we just didn't make the plays. 1992 against the Toronto Blue Jays, they were just better than us, if you ask me. I think they were a little bit better. We played good. I mean, they made some great plays, but I mean, I I wasn't I was hurt after the '91 World Series. Like I was hurt. Not knowing I was going to be on six more teams after 91. You know what I mean? I'm just thinking, man, we may never get here again. I'm hurt. We done lost. We should have been. 92, when I went home in 92, all I said was, we just got to get better. We got to get better. You know what I'm saying? Because these other teams are really good teams, and, and Toronto was good. I mean, Toronto won back-to-back, 92, 93. That tells you how good they were. 94, we had the strike, and now 95. And Booney, when 95 rolled around, now we're a little older, we're seasoned, guys are confident in their, our abilities. We feel like we're going to win because we've been winning. So the confidence level of that 95 team, and then also, Booney, from, from top to bottom, I believe that 95 team had no weaknesses. Like, we had no weaknesses. Like, our bench, we had Luis Polonia, we had um, Mike Devereaux, and we had Dwight Smith. All three of them dudes were legit. I mean, they could have, I believe they could have started for other teams. And they were our bench. Our, our pitchers were, were tough. Our, our outfield, I mean, we, got, we go get Marquise Grissom, one of the premier center fielders in the game. Uh, you know, we got Klesko, a young Klesko. We got, I mean, we just, we just got guys. And uh, we started the season. Remember, we started late. We started in like April. So we're not going to play in as many games. And really, honestly, we had gotten to the point now where we got to win now, Boney, because our fans are a little bit tired of us almost getting there, almost getting a championship. That 91 year was special because we went from worst to first. We captured the hearts and minds of the whole Southeast. Like the whole Southeast was Braves country. And then we had fans all over the country because of TBS. That year, nothing could be more special than that 91 season. Just the genuine love that that team received. I mean, Booney, I don't know if you ever saw it, but we had a parade. We lost the World Series. They had a parade like we won. We had a parade like we won. <laughs> Booney, Booney, the Who does that? It could rival most, most winning parades. It was, it, was, it was unbelievable. So, but then 92, we lose. 93, we lose to the Phillies in the playoffs, right? Now our fans are becoming a little bit more Nah, they're not as, as excited no more now. You know what I mean? Now it's a little bit of frustration creeping in. And they're starting to be the Buffalo Bills. They start referring to us as the Buffalo Bills of baseball. 
and Booney, you know, then nobody, nobody wants that attached to them. So 95, we make our way through. I hurt my shoulder in 95. I would end up missing like almost 30 games, 20-some games. I come back to play, and like I said, we go in the playoffs. That first round of the playoffs, we got Colorado Rockies. Man, the Colorado Rockies with uh, Larry Walker and uh, Bichette and Galarraga. I mean, they had a squad. Yeah, they and, did. And remember, Murders. It was, it was I forget what fight. they call them. The uh, something oh, bombers. Yeah, yeah. Was it murder? Was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, Blake, Blake Street. Blake Court Street. Field bomber, Coors Field. No, no, Blake, Blake Street yeah. bombers. Because oh, yeah, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Coors go. Field's on, on Blake so, Street. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. They, it was a best of five. And I, I think, no, I don't think they won. Nope. No, we got them. We got them. But I remember it being like close, like we could have lost to them. That was the game where um, um, uh, Mike Mordecai got the game winning hit. I think a base hit up the middle to put us ahead. Uh, that was a big hit by one of our guys off the bench. Like I was saying, our bench, like, like from top to bottom, this team was – was as good as any team that we had had. And then we go in and play you guys, and that happened, and now we got to go play Cleveland. And, hey, Booney, when Cleveland – we started in Atlanta. And I'm in right field, Booney. You know how they put up the numbers on, on the scoreboard, right, when everybody walks up. I'm looking at the scoreboard, Booney, and I'm like, man, these dudes got Nintendo numbers. <laughs> it's, it's young Manny Ramirez, Albert Bell, Kenny Lawson, uh, young Tommy. Uh, they got uh oh they got they got Bayerga, uh Omar Vizquel. I mean like they had a squad. And I just remember looking at the scoreboard like man, these dudes can rake. But we got Glavin, Maddox, and Smokes. And you know in our game, Booney, that good pitcher go to always be that good hitting. And yeah. so game one and two, game one and two, we win at home. And then game three, they win. And then game Four, we win. So now we up three to one, Booney, going into game five with Maddox on the mound. So you know it's like, oh, shit, we, can, we got this. Well, we don't. We don't win game, game, game five. So now we got to come home. And here's one thing I'll say because I'm, I'm going to get into this in a minute. But our fans in Atlanta, 95 World Series in game one and two, were treating it like a tennis match. Like, they wasn't really celebrating. They wasn't sharing. They were, they were just kind of a little subdued. We go to Cleveland. Man, Cleveland, it was a party. From the first inning to the end of the game, it was a party going on in, in, in their field, at their field. And it was exciting. And it, the energy level was on a – it was just crazy. And we, we come out of there, we lose two out of three, and we come back home for game six. And – now the pressure is starting to mount because you know we do not want to go to a game seven. We've already been to a game seven. We've, been, we've actually, up until this point, we've played a lot of game sevens. So, and you know, anything can happen too, Booney, in game seven. So we got to get it done in game six. And we had the off day, you know, the off day where you got to work out. And I'm in my locker, Booney. And people don't realize that 95 team had a lot of young guys. That was Chipper Jones' first full year. Hitting so third. Like yeah. I mean, and yeah, that's oh, back yeah. when the three hole was the three hole. And I remember oh, yeah, as an yeah, opponent, yeah. I, oh, I remember yeah. as a, you know, as an opponent, 
we were all sitting there on that Reds team going, look at this little, look at this kid coming. He'd just get into the big leagues. Chipper had to be 21 years old. And we're saying, and we're saying, Bobby's just throwing him into the Braves three hole. No way he could do that. And and I just remember watching him in the postseason for a young player to get thrown in the Mm -hmm. middle of that, because you guys were good in the middle of that Braves lineup. I was overly impressed. I said, that is the most poised young hitter I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah anyway, man. go ahead. Chipper, Chipper's a winner. Chipper's a winner, see? And he was young. And then, you know, he's got McGriff, Justice, behind him. All right, so you know he's going to get pitched to. And if you pitch to him, he's going to get you, bro. He is going to get you. And although he was young, he's just a freaking gamer, man. Chipper is, you know, you're trying to win one game. I'm going to have Chipper in my lineup. I'm going to have Jeter in my lineup. I'm going to have me in my lineup. You're trying to, I, I'm going to have dudes that, that I know they're not scared, Booney. And Chipper was never scared. Never scared, man. Chipper's like my little brother, Booney. Man, I, I feel like I raised Chipper. If you ever talk to him, man, you can, he'll, he'll tell you. I took, a lot of, uh, I took a lot of my free time to, to, to be with Chipper, to, uh, to talk to him in the game because I knew – I was one of our really vocal leaders, Boney. I don't know if you knew this about me with the Braves, but I was really one of our vocal leaders. And I knew that at some point I'm going to be gone. And I told Chipper, and he'll tell you this, I told Chipper, I said, Chipper, I'm going to be gone one day. And when I'm gone, this team is going to take over your personality. So you got to decide how this team is going to be. You got because they're going to follow you. You're the golden child. I don't know if you ever saw that movie with the Eddie Murphy movie, Golden Child. We used to call Chipper. I used to call him, even now, I call him G-Child. When I text him, I, call, I text him G-Child. That's Golden Child. Every organization has their Golden Child. But when you look around, right, yep. every, every organization got their Golden Child. That young dude that they going, that's the guy. It wasn't Cresco. Yep. It wasn't Javi, Javi Lopez, because he's in the same class with them. It's Chipper. I told him, you the dude, man. You the guy. Uh, and Chipper hit third, man. Chipper was man, and you see the career he had, Hall of Famer, man. And and I'm just happy for him, brother. I've seen him since I've seen Chipper since day since birth. I call it since birth. I've seen Chipper. Um, but we go play Cleveland. We had Game Six when you got the off day, and you already feel the pressure mounting because we, you know, we cannot lose another World Series, and Cleveland is not going away. I mean, they got Eddie Murray. They got all. I mean, they got all the ballers over there. They got a bunch of them. And the media comes to my locker, Booney, and they're talking about the various things. And then the guy goes, "Hey, David, all Hershiser said that all the pressure is on you guys to win the World Series." And Booney, I mean, looking back now. Um, I don't. I can't tell you definitively why I thought what I thought, but but it is what I thought that day. I thought that all Hershiser, being a veteran pitcher, was trying to get into the head of our young players. Like I just thought that. So I told the uh, the reporter. I said, "Hey, go tell all Hershiser." I said, "Fuck him," and if he wants some, come get some. That's literally what I said. They go back and tell Hershiser what I said. And, and the report comes back to me, and Hershiser says, tell DJ I'll take him to dinner. Then, Booney, Omar Vizquel, and this is the same talk in front of my locker. 
a reporter says, Omar Vizquel said, y'all don't know, they lost two World Series. Y'all can't win a World Series. Booney, they are talking shit. I'm like, what? Now, I didn't really know much about Omar Vizquel, so all I, I, I didn't really say nothing, in, you know, nothing bad toward him because I really didn't know him. Uh, I said something like, like, I don't even remember. It was nothing bad. But now I'm getting heated. I'm getting heated. And then the next thing out my mouth is, I just think it was the pressure. I go into how our fans need to rise to the occasion, basically. We just came out of Cleveland. Cleveland fans, you would have thought they won the World Series in Cleveland. Our fans are treating it like a tennis match. And then I said, if we don't win the World Series, they're probably going to burn our houses down. I didn't mean that literally. Like I said, it was just a pressure talking. You know, it was just a stress talking like, man, like our fans need to come on. The next day, Booney, I wake up to the headlines. Justice slams Braves fans. That's the headline. The day of game six. Not justice says this about Hershizer or justice says this about Hershizer and Omar Vizquel. No, no, no. The reporter decided I'm going to pit justice against the Braves fans. And, and that's the story. Booney, I arrive at the stadium. Oh, my God. Booney, they booing me in, in the warm-ups. They booing me. You know how we come out before the game and we jog to get loose? When I come yep. out, of the, out of the dugout, they booing me, Booney. They announce the lineup. They booing me. And this is our home stadium, Booney. We at the crib, Booney. Game six. And we got to win. <laughs> and I'm getting booed by 50,000. Okay. So, Booney. The thing is, though, is, is all I really, 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 truly care, 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 care about is my teammates and the organization. Like, I don't care what the fans, that night, I don't care. All the people I love are in this clubhouse. And all the dudes in the clubhouse, they know how I am. They know how much love I have for them and for that team and, 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 and what I would do to win. They know this. So there's no issue in the clubhouse about what I said. They all just riding with me. They ain't vocalizing nothing, but they riding with me, right? So, Booney, swear to God. My first set bat, you know, and they do the announcements. I hear them booing me. They booing me when I come out of the dugout to run before the game. Now, you know, I hit fifth. My first set bat, Booney. I'm, I'm in the own deck circle, and I'm on my knee, on one knee. And I'm just kind of looking out at the field, looking at the scoreboard. I'm looking at McGriff. Freddie's hitting. And now it's time, you know, now batting number 23, right fielder David Justin. And I hear them boo, Booney. Boo! They booing, right? But I do hear a few people clapping, Booney. I hear a few people. And I say to myself, God, you have put me in a lot of tough positions, and you have always brought me out of them. Please bring me out of this situation. That's literally what I said on my knee. Then I stood up, Booney. And I told you, I heard a few people clapping, and I said to myself, I'm going to play for those people right there. I'm going to play for them few people that are clapping for me. Booney, I walked to the plate, and that night, I would walk my first at-bat. I doubled my second at-bat. Didn't score, though. My third at-bat, I, the bat I hit the home run, and my fourth at-bat, I walked. 
Booney, I didn't get out the whole night. And we win the World Series on my home run. Uh, and I'll take you through what I was thinking if, if, if I haven't bored you enough already. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> if you're still awake, all right, Booney, we're facing this guy, Jim Poole. We don't know about Jim Poole. You know, that's before interleague. So you really don't know the lefties on the other team. So it's not like we got a lot of history. But I'm in on deck circle hitting behind McGriff, who's a lefty like me. And Jim, Jim uh, Poole throws grip, McGriff three curveballs in a row, Booney. All three of them would have been balls. Fred swung at all three of them. So he gets out, strikes out. We, we end the bottom of the fifth. So I lead off the bottom of the sixth, and I got a game plan. My game plan is I'm going to stay on the fastball until two strikes, meaning I'm not going to swing at a curveball at all until two strikes. He gonna, I, he's going to have to throw me a curveball for a strike because he didn't throw Fred any. So I'm thinking this guy probably doesn't even throw his curveball for strikes. He just kind of like a show-me curve and try to get you to chase it. You know, that's what I'm thinking. So – and you know how it is, Bunny. When you ain't really face the guy, I want, I want to see the breaking ball anyway because I want to see, you know, is it a 12-6? Is it – how is it hard? Is it slow? Like, what, you know, what does it look like? Because, you know, a breaking ball has many different looks, uh, you know, depending on the pitcher. So, my first pitch, Bunny, I thought I gave it away, bro. First pitch, Bunny, he throws me a fastball, and I swear to God, I don't think – I got my foot down. Uh, <clears throat> I got my foot down – or, um, early, like I was really looking on the gas, and he threw, threw a fastball, and he threw it away. So I was thinking, man, I was too aggressive on that take. So uh, I, I go second pitch, he's probably going to throw a curveball now. But I want him to, though. I want him to because I want to see it for a strike. But I'm going to stay on the fastball, Booney. Throws that fastball second pitch away. The first pitch away was a ball, but he called it a strike. And if you ever look at that night – the umpire behind home plate had a very generous strike zone. Like you, me, we were we mad at, at, at those pitchers umpires. You know the ones that give them two, three inches on each side of the plate? You know them guys. Yeah, right. the guys we don't like. Well, they had a pitcher's umpire that night. Well, I'm 1-1, two straight fastballs. And Booney, I'm like, I know for sure he's going to throw a curveball right here, 1-1. <clears throat> so I tell myself, just take it. Just go ahead and take it because I, w- I need to see a strike first. I need to see it. I'm willing to go one-two. I'm willing to go one-two by taking this curveball for a strike because then I got something to judge. I know what it looks like. But I'm staying on the fastball, Booney. I'm 100% on the fastball. And one-one, he steps up outside to throw a fastball, and he leaves it middle end. And, again, you know, I pull in my sleep. I'm, I, that's what I do. And he threw He missed, he missed location. Do it middle end, and I jumped him. And, Booney, when I hit it, you know, and, Booney, you know, because you hit home runs, too. You know when you hit a home run, you know when it's gone, right? You know when it's gone. Even the ones that might be, at least for me, I can't speak for you on this one, but even the ones we don't hit 450, the ones we might hit 398, I still know it's gone. <laughs> even, though yeah. I, even though I know yeah, it's you gone. Yeah, you know, you can, you can feel it's it. It's a feeling. <laughs> right, right, right. So as soon as I hit it, I knew it was no tape measure, but I knew it was gone when I hit it. As soon as I hit it, I knew it. And Booney, as I'm rounding the bases, man, I'm rounding the bases. And, of course, the fans are going crazy, right? I'm sitting there thinking, look at these motherfuckers. 
right? So I'm I'm running, I'm running, Booney. I round third, and when I get the home plate, Booney, I just I just yell out like a yeah. If you ever see the replay, you'll see me go yeah, because it was like the weight of the world was off my shoulders for a moment, because we're up one nothing now. But I also thought, Booney, man, we're about to blow the lid off this offense now. We're gonna be comfortable. We're we about to we're about to score a bunch of runs. Booney, I'm sitting in there at the bottom of the ninth inning, Booney. We up one nothing. I'm in the outfield praying like you ain't never seen before in your life. <laughs> God, please don't let them tie this up. We got Kenny Lofton leading off the ninth. If he gets on base, he's going to steal second and third. So that, you know, Kenny Lofton had the worst hitting luck that you could have in the World Series. Thank God. He was hitting rockets, Booney, right at guys. I mean, right at guys. Kenny Lofton got on base the first game and stole second and third and scored on the ground ball in the first inning. And I was like, oh, we're going to have problems if that continues. That's how fast Kenny Lofton was in that World Series. But anyway, Kenny Lofton pops. He leads off the ninth, and he pops up down the left field line, and Rafael Belliard runs it down for the first out. When that happened, I said, oh, my God, we're going to win the World Series because Omar Vizquel and Carlos Bayerger were not having great – they were not having great um, World Series. And then they pinch hit the, the lefty dude. I can't remember his name. They pinch hit, I think, for Omar. And he popped up to center, and then now here comes Bayerga. And when Bayerga first hit it, Booney, I thought he got him, bro. Kind of like when, uh, when uh, in, in 2000, when Piazza uh, line, uh, uh, hit off, off Mariano in, our, in, in game five, we won it in game five. When he hit it the left, we hit it the center field to Bernie. When he hit it, we all thought it was gone. When Piazza first hit it, the same feeling I felt with Bayerga in 95. When he hit it, I thought, oh, my God, it's gone. But then, you know, I, you looked to, I looked over there, and just the way Marquise was circling it, I said, oh, my God, he got it. And, bro, when he circled and caught it, Boney, the pandemonium that went through that stadium and that field and that city and that – you couldn't walk the streets that night of Buckhead. And, that, and we finally had gotten over the hump, bro. Finally, you know. And I will never forget that night, bro. I will never forget – any of that. Because, you know, Booney, we play, it's a long season, man. We show up in February, and once we start swinging that bat, first day of, of spring training, we don't, stop, we don't stop swinging until October, right? And then, then the ups and downs and the ins and outs of a season, to be the last man standing on the field is one hell of an accomplishment, bro. That's one hell of an accomplishment. Something all the guys should be proud that they were able to accomplish it because you know, like I know, it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do at all. No, and I, and I, I remember cheering for you because I think, you know, we got, you guys whooped us. We go home and, and we were thinking, well, at least win the World Series just so the world mm-hmm. champs whooped us, you know. under You go there and lose, mm-hmm. we're like, we got whooped by the second place team. Right. But, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That pretty awesome. So, pretty awesome. Yeah. And, um, you're so ten, you to get Cleveland. to and you get to ninety seven. Yep. And in spring training, you mm-hmm. get traded to the Indians. Now, yep. You you you've grown up in this organization. I mean, you, you signed yep. in eighty five as a baby. Yeah. You go through that great run of the nineties, ninety seven. You get traded to the mm-hmm. to the Indians. Ironically, for for the guy you were just talking about, Kenny Lofton. What's mm-hmm. going through your mind? 
Because that's a long time to be with an organization. You know, that's that's all you know. And what's going through so, your mind there? Booney, I used to get really emotional about this, man, because you don't understand how much I love the Braves. Like, like I, I loved the Braves. Like, I never wanted to play for any other team. And about a week prior to the trade, there was some talk around camp that the Braves were going to trade either Justice or McGriff. And Crown Dog is quiet. If you know Crown Dog, he's quiet. And so, I, and I'm not quiet. So I said, I said, I said, I said, Freddie, I'll find out. I'll go ask. So I went to Sherholtz myself. I said, hey, John, am I getting traded um, from a team? I asked him straight out, Booney. And John Sherholtz looks me in my eyes and says, David, I bet my house and my family that you won't get traded. Man, I walked out of that room. I came back in the, and then with the fellas. The fellas, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> right? And they started laughing, right? One week later, Booney, I walk in. They say, man, Bobby wanted to see you. Bobby don't never want to see me. <laughs> I, I, walked in, I walked in the office, and they're all in there. Clarence Jones, Bobby. Uh, I can't remember now. I didn't do any sure host. And he goes, hey, David, remember a week ago when I told you Booney, as soon as he said that, I stopped him because I, I know where that's about to end. I go, where am I going? And he goes, well, you're not going alone. You're going with Marquise. And I'm like, oh, my God, because Marquise is from Atlanta, right? I mean, he's from Atlanta. I, and, and he goes, we, you got, we, we, we traded you to Cleveland. Man. I was like hurt and even a word for it hurt. So, so now Marquise hasn't gotten there yet. I leave out of the room. I don't even want to talk to nobody. Don't tell me, don't thank me for shit. Don't talk to me about nothing. I'm out. Don't, don't, I don't want to talk to nobody. You just told me I wasn't getting traded. And now you just traded me. You told me you bet your family and your, and your house. And now I'm traded. So I walk out in the clubhouse and now it trickles out there. Chipper, chipper tears up. Um, the guys, the guys are, they're like, I'm serious. It's like they were shell-shocked. Like, everybody's looking like, no, like, you hear this in the clubhouse. No way. Nope. No way. No way. Like, that kind of stuff. I'm like, no, nah, fellas, I just got traded. Man, guys are coming up to me, hugging me, and booning. Man, I was about to cry, bro. I was about to cry. I told them, listen, y'all, stop coming up to me. And I got my stuff, and I dipped. I just got out of there fast, man. Marquise, I end up talking to Marquise later. You know how they give you, I guess they give you three days to get to your next team. I was there the mm -hmm. next day. I played, I was in the lineup the next day for Cleveland. We were in uh, Lakeland. I drove over to Cleveland. Now, this is the funny thing. I drive over to Cleveland. I'm, again, this is my first time I've ever played with anywhere else. So I don't know none of these dudes other than what I see on TV, right? I don't know none of them. So I, I fall in there, you know what I mean? I meet everybody. And I, I will later tell Marquise Grissom this because Marquise didn't show up. Hey, Booney, first game, first inning, we are five nothing. I think we are five nothing. Bro, we come out swinging them things. We are five nothing. I was like, oh, man, we got a squad. Hey, Booney, <laughs> at the, in the top, Booney, Booney, top of the second, top of the second, the score is five to five. <laughs> the score is five in the bottom of the first. We five five in the second. Booney, I ain't never experienced this. I played with the Braves. 
I play with Glavin, Maddox, Most Avery. We don't give up five runs in the first. Like, what is this? Looney, we played. Uh, the game lasted over three hours that night. I got back to the place. I called Marquise. I said, Marquise, we are going to have to get into shape to play in American League, bro. That's what I told him. Booney, <laughs> uh, it was the longest game ever. I'm used to playing two hours, hour and 48 sometimes with, with Maddox. You know what I mean? I ain't used to playing no three, three and a half, four-hour games. Not coming from the Braves. So that was one of the funniest things that started that whole new transition. And then – I was like, so, Booney, I always like to set goals or some, have something to shoot for. So I'm like, you know what? This is my first year in the American League. They don't know me. So I'm going to go over here. I'm going to hit 400 my first year. That's what I said to myself. I'm going to hit 400. That's going to be my goal. Booney, I, I finished third in the league in hitting. I hit 329. I finished third in the league in hitting. Got voted into the All-Star game. I didn't play because I freaking strained my elbow right before the All-Star game, but I get voted in to the All-Star game. Um, I would end up with 33 homers, 101 RBIs, and less than 500 at-bats. I didn't even get 500 at-bats. I had 33 homers, 101 RBIs, hit 329, had a great year. What a great – and nothing to you see, I'm, I'm born and raised in Cincinnati. So by getting traded to Cleveland, it allowed my buddies that I grew up with to come, just, they just had to come north three hours, three and a half hours. So they would drive up a lot to hang out, to just, just to be there. And I, I had rented this big five-bedroom home in Strongsville. One, well, one of my best friends who was with me in Atlanta when I got traded, because it was literally like only a few days left in spring training, he went to Cleveland to find me a place. And this, he finds me a place, Booney, 30 minutes from the, from the yard, big five-bedroom house. I'm like, man, I'm sure there's places closer than this. <laughs> so, Booney, I lived a country mile away that first year. But it was a, it was a, it was a great transition. I was, I was hurt, but then I let, it, I let it go. I realized it's a business. I'm hurt. But I'm in a whole nother league, and I got and, I, and and look, life goes on. I still got to go play baseball, right, Booney? I still got to go play baseball. So I said, I'm gonna hit 400. I'm gonna be, and I'm gonna just keep doing what I normally do. Uh, in the club, well, no, now the clubhouse is different too, Booney, because when you come to a, when I come to a new team, I can't come in there trying to be no leader, because I don't know. They may already have their natural leaders. They may already have that dynamic of who the guy is. So I need to survey the land and see where I can basically, you know, basically get in where you fit in type of thing. Right. And so in, so in 97, you know, I'm always a supportive teammate, but I wasn't trying to do a whole lot of um, vocal leading because we already kind of had guys that, that were, were kind of like that. Um, but the dynamic in Cleveland was totally different than the dynamic in Atlanta. Um, the way they ran the team was different than, well, of course, remember, all I ever knew was the Braves. So, you know, we had more of an animal house type of feel to it in Cleveland. But the, fan, the, the clubhouse, I mean, like, boom, the music would be on level 20 when you walk in before a game. Just, just blasting. Ping pong table stuff going. Atlanta wasn't like that. Uh, but the, I will tell you this, Boney, we sold out 
Every game that I played with Cleveland, we sold out. That's oh, that's when, that's when that's when Jacobs Field was rocking. Yeah, what? What? Booney, what you Booney, one of the best home fields you could ever play in, bro. One of the best fan bases you you will ever, ever play in front of as a Cleveland Indians fan. Oh, one of the best. So my experience in Cleveland was all positive. Man, I wish we could have won that World Series in ninety seven. Once again, we had the Florida Marlins on the ropes. Up by one, Booney going into the ninth inning. We, we have an error, open the door, we crack the door a little bit, they tied the game up. We lost in overtime, I mean, extra innings. Another World Series that, that got away from me, that, that was a hurtful one too, man, because like, we, we, we really had the World Series, but you know, you got to play all nine, right? So we, and there's, uh, we da- and there's David of- Justice you know. back in the shares meeting. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, look, 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 look. I am generous in the shares meeting, but I'm also the Grinch in the sheriff's meeting. There have been times in which they looking at me like, damn, Dave. I'm like, man, I'm like, he ain't been here about a week. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why I was like that. All right? I'm acting like they take, I, I don't know why I was like that sometimes. But uh, kangaroo courts. Hey, did you guys ever do kangaroo courts, Booney? We did. We did. Oh, Who would run? Uh, you know, by the time I, when I was in Seattle, not so much in Seattle, but the Cincinnati days I did. Yeah, we'd get Larkin yeah. put on the put on the robe, Larkin and a, he yep. was a judge. Yep. Yeah, yeah, man, I would be, I would be in kangaroo court like I was a real lawyer. <laughs> like I would defend. That's right, because you, you're going back. To, you're going back to your education. <laughs> yeah. You know, guys. You know, guys. I skipped two grades. I was that smart. Booney, <laughs> Booney, they would be looking at me cracking up laughing because we had Lonnie Smith as our grand poobah. Lonnie don't care what I say. I can have the best case. He's still going to say guilty. And, and I, it never fails. And they would just be cracking up laughing every time I lose because it's double when you lose, right? But I'm like, I know I'm going to lose, but I'm going to at least say what I got to say. Oh, man, that used to be so much fun, man. God. But Cleveland, I mean, Booney, Cleveland was, you know, now I'm meeting Manny Ramirez. Cause see, I, I went to left field in Cleveland. I was always a right fielder. I get traded, and Mike Hargrove says, Dave, can you play left field? And I said, I've never played left field, but it ain't going to take me long. He goes, because I think you can make the transition to left better than Manny can make the transition to left. And I said, no problem. I'll go play left field. And, yeah, I mean, once I learned, I mean, yeah, it didn't take me long to get used to it. So I started playing left field. Now I'm meeting Manny Ramirez, Booney, is the best right-handed hitter I have ever played with. He's, he's, when he, when he steps into the box, he's Albert Einstein. Believe me, later in my career, the second half of my career, I would watch Manny. You know, I played with Edgar and he was, Mm -hmm. he was a big part of my, uh, the second half of my career. And and I'd lean on Edgar a lot and always be picking his brain, but I'd always watch Manny Mm -hmm. and I'd say he would set pitchers up. When he stepped, when he stepped between the lines, when he got in that batter's box, I'm with you. That's the smartest, best, oh. right, most most disciplined, stick to his plan, never waver, right-handed hitter I've ever seen. I've never – and to watch him on a daily basis, I just felt – I felt like I should be paying for this. Like, I cannot be this privileged to watch a dude do it like he does it on a daily basis. Booney, I'm talking about, like, setting people up. Oh, my God, he had, he had Jamie Moyer set up. 
He he tells me, he goes, hey, baby, watch first pitch. He's going to throw me a changeup. He does. He tells me, right? He gets in there and swear to God, Jamie Moyer throws him a first pitch changeup and Manny hits this thing a mile. We're in, we're in New York. And he says to me, he goes, David Cohn was on the mound. He goes, Davey, if he throws me a slider, watch what I do. Swear to God, Booney. Gets up there, Coney throws him a slider. He snatches a straight center field. He wasn't missing nothing. He don't miss nothing. We're in spring training, Booney. And Manny, before the game, says, I'm not swinging until I get two strikes on me. <laughs> that was his game plan. I'm not swinging until I get two strikes. I need to see pitches. And I'm like, I see you, bro. And, and literally, he gets two strikes, and then here comes a rocket. He'll get the two strikes, then a rocket. We had a home run hitting contest one time. My group was me, Tommy, and Manny. We're in spring training, just having fun. You know, Tommy, like I used to tell Tommy, the only park that can hold you is Yellowstone. <laughs> I told Tommy, you know, Tommy got crazy power, right? So I'm hitting my that- little stuff over the fence. Tommy's hitting these bombs. Manny Ramirez is going oppo with us, Booney. And nobody says, hey, Davey. I don't want to mess up my swing. <laughs> he had a home run hitting contest, and he's going to right center. He ain't going to left. He's going to right center. I'm like, who does that? Who does that? Nobody Man, but Manny. Manny Ramirez. The best. Oh, my God. When I t- Just his command of the strike zone. Just, oh, Booney, I'll tell you one more Manny story. We're in Toronto. Pat Hinkin. Remember Pat Hinkin? Mm-hmm. Pat Hinkin's on the mound. Pat Hinkin threw it under Manny's chin. I swear the ball hit a whisker. I mean, Manny, <laughs> the Ramir, above Ramirez on his back was dirty. That's how deep he was on his back. We, you know, we yelling in the, in the dugout. The next pitch, Pat Hinkin threw a breaking ball. Manny hit it straight center field off the facing of the, is that the press box or whatever out there? Remember, no, out there straight ahead? It hits the and, facing and- in it's Toronto or in Toronto. Cleveland? In Toronto. No, Not Toronto. Toronto. It's a hotel. Okay, the facing. The fa- there's a facing there. He hits right. the facing of it, and the ball's coming back toward the infield. I'm talking about a scud missile he hit, Booney. And our whole dugout, of course, is going crazy. And Manny's just running around the bases like, no big deal. <laughs> he had just got dropped. And the next pitch, I'm talking about a bomb. The, but now, but I'm on a team with Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomey. Uh, young Richie Sexton comes to the big league. Remember Richie Sexton? They all played yeah. him. Young Richie Sexton. And we got, we got a fan base that I'm talking about the best stereo system in a stadium was in, was in the Jake. It was just a great environment to play. It was such a great environment to play in. And then, so then I get traded to, to New York. Mid two thousand. So you're going from you're going from Bobby Bobby Cox to Grover to yep. Joe Torre, which was different Mid- too. Which was different. Yeah. too. Grover, a totally different manager. My, Mike Hargrove is is a great guy. Like I really like talking to to Mike Hargrove. I don't want to say nothing negative about his managerial skills. I'll just say that is where he needed improvement. Bobby Cox <laughs> and Joe Torre to me are, are very much alike. When you look at some of the greatest leaders in all sports, 
they all have this way about them where they don't really talk a lot. Outside of Pete Carroll, outside of somebody like Pete Carroll, usually all the great leaders of men are usually, they don't say a lot. Okay. And they, they stick like, like there's a way that they play like Bobby Cox, you play hard and you be on time. But Bob, I guarantee you, Booney, you didn't talk a lot to Bobby. No, you did not have a very, very rare. No, you didn't. Little interaction. Very little. Same as me. I played there forever and came into the minor leagues. Never talked to Bobby. Never. He so there was a clear line between manager and player with Bobby Cox. As much as you felt like he loved you, but 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 there's a line. Joe Torrey, the same way. There's a line between manager and player. Mike Hargrove's teams. That line was blurred. That line was at times non-existent. The level of respect that a manager should get from a player at times didn't exist on our team, on that team. No, I and see what you're saying. Hey, I, I see what you're saying. It's kind of like it's kind of like the managers always. There's a certain distance. You know, there's managers are like I loved Lou Pinella. There's uh, he just my fa- he's my favorite of all time, but there was a time where he would cut it off and he didn't go there. You know, that was more of the, the coaches, uh-huh. the coaches like like on a plane. Uh-huh. You know, we'd be sitting there and the boys would be in the back. Maybe you're having beers or whatever. Sometimes a bench coach would come back. Sometimes uh, your uh-huh. third base coach and hang out with you. Rarely uh-huh. that manager might come back and say hello. But then he goes back and sit, sits in his seat. Uh-huh. And I, so I, I'm trying to explain to the people out there listening what that that's what I think you're saying is there there's there's got to be a little bit of mystery. That manager's got to fill out the lineup every day. He's got to tell guys when they're getting getting sent down. He's got to tell guys when they're getting traded. So they're, they're, you're right. There has to be some sort of buffer between player manager. Manager doesn't go out to the bars with the players. You know, he, he leaves that at the ballpark. All right. You anyway, to, a great manager, Booney, uh, knows how to have just enough interaction with his players. But if you become one of the guys, then the guys start looking at you as one of the guys. Now they're talking shit about you, or they're talking shit to you. Or that's you a great point. Butt of the joke, or you lose. You lose the respect of being the leader, the true leader. And well, you, happens, lo- you lose that authority it. position. That authority, right. You lose it. You don't, you, uh, you, you don't want to be super cool with your players. And Bobby Cox and Joe Torrey are the best at, I call it, they're the best at hugging and then giving you the Heisman. You know, the Heisman to push off. They're the best right. at hugging you, but pushing you away. Hugging, push, they're the best at that. Mm-hmm. See? And, and when I look around at all these great coaches, you know, you see around, they all look like they remind me of each other, man. Where the guys will, will play hard as hell for them, but you don't see the guys joking with them like that. You don't see the guys. It's just a certain level of respect. Like, there were things that I heard said to Mike Hargrove that you know, Boone, you know how certain things that you wouldn't even ever think about saying to your parents, like it wouldn't even cross your mind. Like right. I can give you ten thousand things to say to your mom, and 
F you mom would never be, would never come out your mouth. Right. Like never, like right. certain things you would never say. There were things that I heard said to Mike Hargrove that I said, I never would have thought that somebody would ever say this to a manager. Like, right. And you're saying because he, 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 he allowed himself to be one of the guys. Yeah, I, yes. He, yeah. he lost. There were there were a few things he did where he lost the respect of the guys, and that's the first time I had ever observed it and saw it. And I think that was a detriment to the success of our team. That was one of the detriments to the success of our of that Cleveland team was that there was too much, there were too many conversations about our manager. So focus being taken away from our opponent and getting ready to play in the game. And too much focus being spent talking about, you know, the manager. The Boone Podcast continues with our two-part special podcast, David Justice. Check back next week for part two.